Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to Commons People, HuffPost UK's politics podcast. We are recording a special edition with the funniest Blairite comedian <laughs> in the room. Oh, you there rotter. Mr. Matt Ford, how are you, Matt? I'm good. I was happy with the first caveat, and then that just got progressively yeah. worse. I'm well, good. Yeah. good, good to, to hear. With you and we're also joined by Kate Forrester. How are you, Kate? Uh, not too bad. You are thanks. not a Blairite comedian, are you? Uh, no, sadly, uh, I'm not very funny. No, but you are a massive Blairite. <laughs> um, so, uh, Matt, you are here. We're doing this special because your fantastic TV show, Unspun, is coming back. Yeah. For is it the fourth series fourth now? Because you had to crowbar in a little third series last year, didn't you? Before the election, was that was that always planned? No, no, that was. I'm not. Oh God, I don't know, but it was certainly when the election was called, there yeah. was a desire to do an election series. So I'd like to thank Theresa May for, <laughs> for keeping me in work. Keeping absolutely, in work, yeah. And last time we spoke, you came into HuffPost. Uh, I think it was about a year ago, and we sat down and watched PMQs and we had a really good laugh didn't we how <laughs> rubbish <laughs> Jeremy Corbyn is and now he's going to get wiped out yeah, and la 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 bit embarrassed about that now are we do we feel like we completely misjudged the world well not really because at that time I mean I still don't think he's any good at PMQs so, uh, uh, he has great strengths but they're not it so I don't think in that sense I mean he hasn't really changed as a politician he had a far better result than I thought he was going to have and a far better result than his allies thought he was going to have. So we all, I don't think anyone really can honestly say they saw it coming. But what he's definitely done is, is change, to some extent, the mood music out there in the country. He's reflecting an anger that Britain's unfair and unequal. And in that regard, I totally agree with him. But I certainly didn't expect him to have the result that he had. Before we get on to talking about your, your wonderful show... Um, <laughs> There's just been the, the early elections this week to Labour's NEC. Yeah. Eddie Izzard kept up his record of never winning anything <laughs> by failing to get on. And uh, the Corbyn supporting momentum sort of, you know, did really well and they sort of swept to power kind of thing. And all I've heard from the Blairite progress wing of the party is just whinging, whinging yeah. about these elections, whinging that they're in charge. Yeah. There's no positive vision, is there, coming from that part of the party, which, you're, which you have been associated with in the past. Yeah. You've so got to be careful with these things because obviously... The Labour Party's run free and fair elections and these people have won. So that's just one of the old phrases when I worked for the party was don't get angry, get organised. And at the moment, the, the Blairite wing or the progressives or whatever they want to call themselves, the centrists, aren't organised and they don't have the numbers. And in the end, that's how democracy works. You have to have more people in your camp than you do in the other camp. Um, and at the moment, that's not there. I mean, my, my main concern about the NEC isn't the momentum one or anything like that. It's just when I was a member of the party, when I was working for it, the NEC... I think a lot of people don't appreciate how powerful the NEC is in the Labour Party, and it does have genuine, genuine constitutional power. It's effectively sort of judiciary of the Labour Party. It decides who gets expelled and on what basis and what hearings and all sorts of things that can help determine the policy direction of the party. Certainly in the Blair years, even when he was in his pomp and everyone remembers him controlling the party, actually he didn't. The NEC was always an important check and balance on him. My fear is actually it's not even about whether it's left-wing or right-wing. I think it's always healthy for parties to have internal checks and balances on their leaders. And the Labour Party at the moment, there doesn't seem to be en enough of a desire to provide that for Jeremy Corbyn. In the end, a lot of the people on Corbyn's side may 
get annoyed with him. And don't forget, in between 2015 and 2017, people were starting to say, actually, I've joined momentum to vote for Jeremy and maybe this isn't working. If they find themselves in that situation again, they've effectively disempowered themselves to do anything about it. So that's my only concern. It's just a wider point about internal democracy of any party. I don't resent momentum candidates winning because they ran a free and fair campaign and they absolutely trounced it. Fair dues. What do you think the the wing of the party that you're associated with, what do you think they need to do? You say get organised, but do they need to start putting forward a vision? What vision is that? I mean, how does that... Well, this is part of the problem. Part of the problem, and Liz Kendall said this before, and it's a thought that I think a lot of us on that wing of the party, in that place in politics, have thought... The centrist dad place in politics. The centrist dad. I mean, I'm dressed like... I don't know what a centrist dad is, but it's used as a term I don't think abuse. you need to have children. I don't think you need to be a dad. To no, be you don't. Do you Definitely no. not. Definitely not. I think it's... Yeah, it's quite quite a centrist dad look. I don't think it's a bad thing. Can I don't think it's an insult. British, this is an audio experience, people. Can, so hey, can you describe what Matt's wearing? It's a nice, uh, nice sort of um, high V-neck jumper. Yeah. Um, nice polo shirt underneath. Both both dark. For me, it's dark blue. The man who has to go to BAQ on a Sunday morning because he's finally <laughs> got to do that bit of DIY that the wife's been nagging about. <laughs> nice <laughs> jeans. Good trainers. I think yeah. yeah. It's all fairly cheap. I shop good? on the, I do a lot of shopping on the cheap. I'm not you fashionable. Do, or, or you look a little bit like a uh, man who's going on Friends' second stag do. Like, <laughs> <laughs> got, got divorced. All a bit old now, going on the stag do, and you, this is what you're wearing for your night out. I think I dress a bit older than... I'm 35, but I know I look older. You're 35? Yeah, is that older? Yeah, what, what, are you, which direction oh. are you surprised in? Nothing. Just You thought I was older or younger? I thought you were slightly older than that. Yeah, I'm 35. Yeah, but then I see the way that you carry on. And <laughs> <laughs> your obsession with Forrest, so I get the wild surprise of that. But that's apparently now being into football makes you a centrist dad. Yeah. Or listening to Oasis. I'm like, hang on a second. These are rowdy places. These aren't like these aren't the places that like so called centrists who are middle of the road boring people want to go. Certainly not the parts of the ground I go to or the gigs I go to. So I'm not sure how this rowdy lifestyle is being presented as proof that of sort of beigeness. For want of a better word. <laughs> but the, to answer the question, the, 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 the seeds of this problem really were sown in the Blair years where the main argument for sticking with Blair for a lot of people was, well, he wins elections. And in the end, and you saw this in the Scottish independence referendum, I think you saw it in the EU referendum, you saw it in Clinton's problem with campaign against Trump. You have to have heart and soul as well. There has to be an emotional reason why. There has to be a principled reason why. Now, Tony Blair's politics are genuinely what he believes. But a lot of people thought, well, actually, he's just compromising to get into power. And that, that perception that a lot of us allowed almost to, because why ask difficult questions when you're winning? Actually, that's that's the best time to ask difficult questions, as it is in you know a time of economic growth. We sowed the scenes of our own destruction there, actually, by never saying, actually, this is a principled position. It's just as principled as yours. And the idea now that principle in itself is unique to Jeremy Corbyn or Nicola Sturgeon or Donald Trump is, of course, ludicrous. But that is part of the brand. And our wing of the party or our position on the political compass has really suffered because people don't see it actually as being a, 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 a conviction place. Because they say, well, you're just sort of a bit of a Tory. You're sort of in the middle. It doesn't count. Centrism. You know, if you're on the centre-left, you don't really care as much or you're not as bothered. Well, of course these people are just as bothered. What they've got to do now is effectively move on and find whatever new Labour or whatever it is now, 
the, whatever the centre-left is for this generation and make the case passionately, make a real heart and soul. Because that's how Jeremy Corbyn did it. That's how he got that result, was he went out there and he campaigned relentlessly and he told people what he really believed. And when people hear stuff like that, it is attractive. There is no reason why any point on the political compass cannot have that sort of turnaround if you have the heart and soul. And I just think at the moment... The Blairites, the progress people feel like they're in retreat. They feel like they don't understand what's happening in politics. Whereas Corbyn says, I do understand and here's my, here's my medicine. People might disagree with it, but there's that clarity actually is, is reassuring to people. So for want of a better answer, they need to rediscover their, rediscover just a bit of heart. That's what people want. If you look at that Scottish independence referendum, even though it was won by the no side, it was all quite, oh, stick with us or you're going to lose your jobs. Yeah, yeah. There was no, you know what, being in the union is a really good idea. It's good that Scotland, England, Wales and Northern Ireland sit around a table together. It's beneficial for us as a society. The European referendum. The same, yeah. Where was the pro-Europeanism yeah. of it? Yeah, they, you never saw a, a, a pro-immigration case result no. in the union referendum. Insane. And especially when you had a grand coalition, effectively, of all the major parties. Where was the European argument in a European referendum? Yeah. And I think that, that applies to so many things at the moment in politics. And sadly, at the moment, they're all the things I care about. And they're, on the, they're currently on the wrong side of, of this emotional argument. Would you ever vote Tory? I don't think so. I don't think I could, in all honesty. You c I couldn't rule out voting for any party, to be honest. I'm not emotional about parties. I don't feel anymore the connection to, to Labour that I did. It was very emotional. I think you have to vote in a logical way about what you think is be best for the world. If there was a pro-European Conservative Party that was committed to investing more in public services against a really hard-left Eurosceptic Labour Party, maybe. But, I mean, to be honest, I, I would struggle to tell you who I would vote for on any wing of politics at the moment. I don't feel enamoured with any of them, and that's would, who did depressing you for, for me. Who did you vote for last election? Would you say that? I, spo I spoiled my ballot. Did you? Yeah, I was livid. I was livid with all the options given to me. How did you spoil it? I wrote something on it. What did you write? I'm not telling you. <laughs> no, 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 no. Did you join a little box and put T. Blair and then a little love heart? No, I didn't do that. No, no, no. <laughs> but you're thinking you should have done I, it. I, I, I wrote something on it, you know, that um, that was my opinion. That was that, basically expressing my uh, annoyance at a lack of choice on, our, on all sides. And that was hard for me because I've always I've voted in every election that, and I've still voted but I voted for a party in every election that I've been uh, eligible to vote in, and I used to vote Labour with genuine enthusiasm. Probably an enthusiasm that was immature in, re in on reflection, really, because politics for me is a pragmatic pursuit, and I think sometimes it's good to feel good about it, and that, that's the point that I, I guess I'm making before. But if, I did feel a little bit sad not to be able to vote Labour this time. That's just the way it's gone. Just sort of going back to the Brexit thing, do you feel like that could be Corbyn's undoing? Definitely. I mean, the danger with it is the vast majority of Labour members want to stay inside the European Union, and at the moment, but they also really like Jeremy Corbyn. And those two things are kind of happily coexisting side by side because it hasn't really got to a, a, a pinch point yet where he's been severely called out on it. My fear, actually, is that if people value their love of Corbyn over their love of the European Union, and why wouldn't they, they will actually follow him in his Euroscepticism, and he will entrench an anti-Europeanism in British helped to entrench it amongst a, a generation of people that you would hope in 15, 20 years' time, if it takes that long, would be campaigning for a referendum to take us back into the European Union. But I think it's it's his biggest problem, definitely, with his own supporters. Um, but he's someone who's campaigned against the EU his entire life. I know a lot of people on the left who are very principled, caring people who voted Leave. They're not necessarily Corbynistas either. Genuinely felt that it, it was a... 
um, a capitalist cabal that prevented UK governments from helping working class people. I saw it as the opposite, but I think that is. I think that's his biggest problem, definitely, with his own with his own tribe. Going back to your show, which when's it start again? Okay, when's it start it? again? I haven't even read it. Let's get the plug in. <laughs> <laughs> this bloody I keep, thing I've got I keep, see, I keep seeing adverts on the tube for it. Well, you superimposed behind Sat- behind Thatcher, behind Theresa May's. Uh, no, that's real. I was genuinely there. No, you weren't. Oh, I was there. <laughs> <laughs> you, weren't. you were getting gobbed on yeah, outside. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All that again. Uh, Sunday, the 28th of January. Excellent stuff. Good. And now, I've got to ask a couple of questions. Go, looking back through your back catalogue, <laughs> are you having an affair with Anna Subri? No, I'm not. Because no. she is on like every <laughs> other week, either on your show or on your political party podcast. She's great. I know she is, but... You know, she's been she's on there about three times. <laughs> I think she's done the podcast twice and the telly show once. Yes. But we tweet each other a lot. And the other question <laughs> that I was asked to ask you by our colleague Ned was every time on your on your political party podcast, yeah. you always introduce the person by saying, now this is someone I've wanted to interview for a long time. Oh, wow. I've been called out. But it's true. <laughs> but sometimes you've interviewed them already and you still say it. I know, but I'd, I'd want to talk to them again. <laughs> it's real. I don't. Inter- I mean, almost by definition, why would I invite someone on that I didn't want to interview? So. Well, okay, well, that takes me on to the next question. Some of the people you've interviewed, um, are sort of mainstream political figures, but then you also interviewed people like Tommy Robinson. Yeah. Now I've listened back to that one not too long ago, and it's a very interesting one because you say you make clear to him, look, Tom, I don't agree with a single word that you say. I don't yeah. or anything you stand for, but you give him an audience. Yeah. Do you think that was the right thing to do? Do you think you legit by putting him in a series alongside people like Nick Clegg and William Hay, have you legitimised yeah. him a little bit? I don't think so. I think I was fascinated by him because at that time he'd just left the EDL. And I felt that he was I wrongly felt that he was having spoken to Majid Nawaz, who I think I'd interviewed either the show before or a couple of shows before, who ran the Quilliam Foundation and had they'd made that great documentary, I think it was what called When Tommy Left the EDL. And I felt that this was a working class bloke who'd had his head turned by radical far-right politics who was trying to effectively go straight and and um, turn his life around. And it's obvious that Tommy Robinson actually has skills and is bright. And I actually felt that his story at the time was one of great hope. And I thought, brilliant, this guy is going to turn his back, almost like reformed hooligans or terrorists do, on, a, on this previous lifestyle and actually become a real beacon to to turn other lads like him around. So I interviewed him out of a genuine belief that at the time he was trying to turn it around. I have to say, even if he hadn't, he would still be someone I'd want to interview. I think he's a fascinating individual and politics takes many forms and it doesn't just exist in Parliament or in representative democracy. There are political voices out there that are very influential. And the rise of the far right is something that that perplexes me and chills me. And I can't believe that anyone who was... I can't believe they're being honest. Is just the, the 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 truth of it. So I would want to sit down with him. I don't think it legitimised him. You know, you he didn't launch a parliament. What do you mean? Like How do you mean? Well, you say you can't believe they're. Being I can't honest. believe they genuinely think the things they say. Right. Okay. I think they enjoy provocation. I think they enjoy a fight. A lot of them are ex-hooligans, aren't they? You know, you watch these EDL marches, and it's just they'll say you, anything. You could put a football shirts on them and put them in the eighties, couldn't you? Or the seventies, you could. Oh, definitely. And it's a lot of the things that attract people to the EDL are the same things that attracted them to, to hooligan culture in that period. Um, so you almost want to sit down with someone and just say, come on, honestly, what do you really think? Of course. And I would, I would inter- you know, just as I would interview former members of the IRA or, or Sinn Féin or things like that, I think people who are turning themselves around are always interesting. At that time, I, th- I thought he was, but I have to say, even, even if he wasn't, maybe I wouldn't have had him on the podcast. 
but I'd still be interested in him, as I would be with a you know a, a radical Islamist preacher or or someone like that. I put together a little quiz about your. Um Podcasts and your unspun. Oh crikey! That's very good questions. of you. I know, mate. So here we go. Well, let's see what the question. Question are number one: Are you having an affair with Anna Subri? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. I can Which? categorically deny I've not had sexual relations with that. <laughs> oh. <that's laughs> right. Question number one: Which of your guests on Celebrity Mastermind thought Marie Antoinette was a Nobel-winning physicist? Was it Michael Portillo? Was it Jackie Smith? Or was it David Lammy? See, I was going to get. It's a good job I didn't... Who are you going to say? What were the three options again? Uh, Portillo, I Jackie Smith or David Lammy. What do you think, Kate? Uh, I'm going to say Portillo. I think Portillo. I'm going to say Lammy. Got Marie Curie and Marie Antoinette confused. It was David Lammy in 2009. Oh. Get in there. I can't believe Portillo would make a mistake like that. <laughs> How many of your guests have served jail time <laughs> in UK prisons? Tommy Robinson has. Yep. Or Stephen Yaxley Lennon, I think, is his real name. Yep. Uh, Tommy Robinson... Was it one, two, or three? I'm just trying to think of who I've had on. I don't think I've inv- interviewed any of the expenses people. Oh, now M- Majid served time in an Egyptian jail. Yeah, so he doesn't count. That doesn't count. Driven Kate. Two. Uh, you think two? I think he's forgetting someone. He is forgetting someone. It is two. Ooh. Do you know the other one is? Who is it? Chris Hune. Damn it! Oh. Damn it! Chris damn it! Yoon. Damn it! Oh, damn it, I was so close to the expenses thing, I just couldn't... Couldn't move it. I, couldn't, I really struggle to remember sometimes without looking at a list who's been on. It's usually Anna Subri, mate, or Nick Clay. <laughs> <laughs> which of your, question three. Which of your guests said uh, William, William Hague was a baldy who has a funny accent and that's what cost the Tories votes? Was it Nigel Evans? Was it Tim Loughton? Or was it Neil Kinnock? I think it was Nigel Evans. I think Nigel Evans. No, it was Tim Loughton in 2001. Wow. I loved him. He is one of the funniest. You've had Tim Loughton on quite a few times <laughs> as well. He's so funny. Can He's an absolute rotter. I mean, but that, vi- that video, the Ledson for Leader March, <laughs> with his little tiny voice shouting, that's one of my favourite things that's ever happened in politics. What about the hour-long bars he has as well? <laughs> I yeah, him. I forgot about them. Um, I remember him coming to one once. So I interviewed him on one and he brought like Graham Brady and Arthur 1922 committee they sat at the back getting absolutely blind drunk and heckling about <laughs> the whole thing and then he came down I think when I had David Davis on and him and Justin Greening sat at the front and Davis was telling a story about a reshuffle and Lawton's just chirps in throughout the whole thing and he said David Davis because oh he got reshuffled I can't remember who they're talking about about a cabinet minister that Cameron had moved and he said, I can't remember what he got reshuffled for. He goes, Tim, can you remember? And Lawton just put his champagne down and went, for being a tosser. <laughs> <laughs> I love him. He's a funny dude. Well, nice next question. Uh, a member of which band recruited Angus Robertson to join the SNP? Oh. Was it the Proclaimers, Simple Minds or Primal Scream? I don't think it'd be Primal Scream because Bobby Gillespie's dad was big in the Labour Party in, in Scotland. Really? Yeah. I met him once working on a uh, by-election up there many years ago. Uh, Bobby Gillespie wouldn't fly, missed Top of the Pops once because he didn't want to fly into Luton Airport. Why not? I because mean, it is crap. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he said, More of a what his, his, his justification was, what if we die at Luton Airport? I don't want to be known as the rock star that died at Luton Airport. Um, to be fair. Which is quite a reasonable justification. Yeah. Yeah, cancel all flights. The answer was the Proclaimers. Damn it. I knew, you know it. what? I, d- I knew that because they're big SMP supporters. Uh, and just finally, 
Just three people served in the cabinet continuously from 97 to 2010. I know who they, you I know all three. two of them. Go on then, all three, go on then. Uh, well, Tony Blair, Alistair Darling and Gordon Brown. Incorrect. Tony Blair <gasps> stepped down in 2007 and therefore oh, could not no! possibly serve no, hold 2010. No, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Sorry, I've got to set you first. Don't the answers. So, so hold on, so hold on. <laughs> so, 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 um, so what was it? 97 to 2010? Yeah. So I've interviewed oh, Alistair Darling. Kate, it's embarrassing, isn't it, Kate? Now, hold on. So what was the question again? The pressure's on now. What was the question? Because I didn't listen to the full question. I preempted it. I, I, you got too excited. Three people served in the cabinet continuously from 97 to 2010. You've interviewed two of them. Yeah. Can you name... You can name all three or name the two that you've interviewed. So Alistair Darling? Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. Silence. Oh. Dead air. <laughs> oh, man, you man, got man. Gordon Brown was right. Yeah. And you've interviewed this third one. Can you give me a clue? He was a foreign secretary, leader of the house, home secretary. How am I not remembering this? His name is Jack Straw. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> of course I knew it. I was there. Um, oh, the other thing I wanted to ask it. you about was uh, left-wing comedians, right? Are you to blame for Brexit and Trump? What? Is it sneering, left-wing, metropolitan comedians laughing at people and their real concerns on TV shows that I'll meant that people went, do you know what? We're sick of this. We're sick of this cultural establishment mocking us. I don't know. I don't... I, mean, I exclude I d- you, actually, because you do a lot of touring and stuff, right? So, And I take the mic out of everyone. You do, but there's, a, but there's a lot of comedians. I watched a TV show last night called The Mash Report. Oh, it's brilliant. I, it's brilliant, but I also found it completely fed into that kind of stereotype of like left-wing people, you know, that sort of Radio 4 Now show kind of sneeriness. Uh, I think you do have to be careful. I mean, I think the Mash Report's great and Nish Kumar's a good friend of mine um, and he's superb. But I think you do have to... I take the mick out of everyone yeah. because that's just... I think it's easy probably where my politics are to look around all sides and, and, and do that. I find it more satisfying because you give yourself more targets. I think it's a bit of a leap to blame comedians <laughs> for Brexit and Trump. I mean, uh, particularly blaming British comedians for Trump is one heck of a theory. <laughs> um, I think it's far more profound than that. And I think you're absolutely right that sometimes culturally people feel that the establishment thinks a particular thing. Um, you know, it's a very good question. I think you'd have to be careful. Uh, what I would say is this. I think comedians don't like to offend their audiences. And a lot of them don't particularly... Well, that's not true. I think just the instinct of the performer, particularly if you're trying to make an audience laugh, is to make them like you. So I think comedians are always going to be almost trailblazers or slightly ahead of the rest of the country in terms of what the mood of the country is. It's strange. When you think about comedians in the 70s, though, they were very... Culturally right wing, right? Yeah, they were, you think yeah. about Bernard Manning and all those kind of people. I'm not saying we should go back to that at all, but I'm saying there seems to have been a shift now. There used to be that that was the kind of humour, and I guess that came from the working man's clubs where yeah. perhaps that was the. It bears out your point then that, the, you know, they were performing to those audiences who wanted to hear that kind of humour. Yeah. Uh, also, I mean, don't underestimate, there's a lot of conservative comedians out there that just don't talk about politics. So there are comedians that vote conservative. Um, it's just not part of their act, you know. Mm. They're doing stuff about other material. Not every comedian talks about their their views or their their point on the political compass. Perhaps, maybe, because for fear of uh, offending certain. But all I would, as well, another point is that audiences massively vary around the country. 
not all comedy clubs are in London are the same. So when people talk about London audiences, it's very varied. It's often international. Uh, some clubs are rougher than others. Some clubs uh, demand, you know, gags now and don't want to hear the the, the snivelling whinings of the <laughs> the privileged uh, comedic elite. Other clubs uh, will give you far more latitude in terms of talking about politics and things. I don't think it's comedians' fault at all. I think most comedians are hardworking um, <laughs> people who are uh, effectively um, on a vocation to make the world a better place. Just about managing. The jams, yeah, yeah. just about managing. Yeah. I mean, in a serious point, actually, there's a documentary to be made about British comedy and, and live comedy in particular because the live comedy circuit is, is in quite a parlour state and the culture of stand-up comedy has completely changed even in the time that I've been doing it. Live comedy was an underground movement in the same way that music was for a long time. And people were happy. I used to go to comedy clubs in Nottingham for five quid and see Peter Kay, Sean Locke, Daniel Kitson. And this was before they were big. Still have change for fish and chips. Still have change for fish and chips. But people would go because com- they were into live comedy and they didn't need to know that. The p- this is all before they were big. Whereas comedy clubs now, audiences in many parts of the country, won't go to gigs unless there's someone that they've seen on Mock the Week or Have I Got News or, or, or something. There's not that desire to discover a comedian that you've but never that heard of before. because people can sit and watch things on YouTube now? And they can, so. so they, it's the same in music, right? Why go and see a live band where the guitarist is out of tune and you can't hear the singer when you can listen to it on, on Spotify, on Spotify and you can go, oh, that's how I get my music. And it's the same with sport. Yeah. You know, why go to a game? But then the reason why you should go is it's way better. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. It's brilliant. Football for me isn't about watching it on telly, even though I do watch it on telly and my Sky subscription is probably the best thing I ever brought. <laughs> it is going to games. It's missing goals. It's, you know, the chanting and the singing and the... All the rest of it. And the, the whole fighting and all that. Yeah, the fighting. And all that. <laughs> I'm a centrist dad, so I'm basically... I, th- I mean, I could be a hooligan and still get called a centrist dad these days, but... It is all about the live experience, and I think there's enough people that still want to go and watch live comedy, but it's changed. Arenas have changed that. People don't really support their own live comedy in the same way that they did, which is a shame. You don't want to start chanting at Daniel Kitson's gig. He'll have you out, mate. He will have you out. Yeah. Have you seen... Did you go and see yeah, the Yeah, yeah, it was amazing. Was it good? So good. Yeah. Hard to get tickets. It was so good. Yeah. He's a genius. Yeah, it was amazing. There you go, go and see Dan Kitson. Doesn't take any uh doesn't take any messing about though. I mean he is arguably one of the, if the, arguably the greatest living comedian. Possibly one of the greatest that's ever lived. Stop being so hard on yourself, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> oh mate, crikey. You're all right. Thank you. Is but there anyone uh, you other than Anna Subri, is there anyone else you'd like to interview? <laughs> <laughs> that you, oh. that you haven't interviewed. Gordon Brown. Gordon Brown. I noticed that was the, the glaring omission from your list. Was yeah. was why, have you asked him? Yeah, yeah. We've what? we've emailed a few times. It's just about sorting date out. So I think I think he, oh, it's going to happen. He's, he's open to me interviewing him. Yeah, it's just about when he's in London. Are you going to do your Brown impression to him? Okay. Oh, of course I will. Yeah, of course. <laughs> you, you, did it to, to. you did it to Blair, of course. I did my Blair to Blair. I did my Hague to Hague. You kind of got to. That's you? a good Brown impression, actually. Eighty-two point nine billions in two thousand eleven thirteen, <laughs> rising to ninety-eight point nine billions in two thousand eleven twelve. <laughs> Mr. Speaker, this is a Labour budget, and I commend it to the House. <laughs> it's often more a visual, but it's also the. I used to have a bit of material about none of his sentences ever end. That's just this one endless. <laughs> That allowed us to say, not only is a UK, England, Wales, Scotland and Northern Ireland joined in a common bond, not just a bond of constitution, as those who seek to divide us the same, but a bond of values, values that allowed us in the European Union not only to bring in short start of the minimum wage, but entrench pension protection for part-time workers that allowed us to say that no child should be left behind, not only in America, but reaching out to India and Argentina as well,
building alliances is only weaker. Just these endless. And then the oh. pacing. And the pacing he does now. Pacing, he does this yeah. weird pacing. He looks like a bit of a man in the park showing the pigeons. Well, when he does this pacing, he's sort of he's looking down and he sort of says <laughs> It's funny that you notice that, because that's that's another I, I mean I I like it. I, I think he looks like a man who was raised in captivity. <laughs> and has struggled to adapt to life on the open plains. Like those, you know, rare, rare <laughs> cats that are kept in cages in Russia and then they just still end up patrolling one corner of the yard. Have you got any new impressions lined up? Because obviously your Trump one was the big one from the last series. Yeah. Have you got anyone that you've been particularly working on for this series? I know you, you got your Boris out on Sky the other day. Yeah, I'll be doing Boris on this Ooh, one. Oh, dear. Yeah, you did. Yeah, it was <laughs> well, that sounds like a you. <laughs> <Yes. from it>. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be doing and, Boris. And there's, and there's a good, uh, good Jim White as well. For Jim White, absolutely right. Transfer deadline, D. Peter or Jim Wengi. I loved doing Jim White. And he turned, he up. turned up, didn't he? And I had no idea he was going to pop out. Wait, so, you, more Boris? I mean, the one, I'm tr- the one I'm trying to nail is Corbyn. It's very hard to do. <laughs> very it? difficult. He talks out of one eye. So, there's always that kind of one mm. raised eyebrow. Yeah. Sniffs a lot. Um, often we'll talk at the back of his. Uh, what I love about him is he will get ratty, yeah. unprovoked. Because yeah. mm. he's so used to just being a campaigner and doing rallies. We want to build more hospitals, we want to build more schools. Don't you think? It's a good idea for what we should do in this country because too many people don't have access to good schools and good hospitals. And I think that is the right thing to do. We've got 400,000 new members reaching out to people across the Green Movement, reaching out to people across the Liberal Party because these people are, of course, people that we do want on our side. This weird mixture of... One thing he does, he does, you know when he's under pressure when he will talk right at the back of his throat. When people say, but you've, you've described Hamas as friends again. No, no, I, I don't think that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we'll go very at the back of himself. But I haven't quite got the hook of Corbyn. And I imagine you must be furious. I imagine you were working really hard on the Henry Bolton impression for the new series. <laughs> <laughs> obviously, you might no longer be in post. So it must, be, oh. it must have annoyed you, Matt. Henry. Well, you, I mean, you, it must have annoyed you. I think it probably annoyed you more, didn't it? Because you've been a, an avid follower of UKIP over years. Absolutely, mate. I was there before they were big. Uh, so <laughs> after the follower to following Farage and then oh, you're berating Bolton. You're too what, what Badgering you Bolton. Badgering Bolton. <laughs> <laughs> what was the other night when I turned up at his romantic dinner and he's having with his ex-girlfriend in the Liberal Yes, show. I listened and I got, to you. I got plugged in. <laughs> I plugged my way into that. He didn't like that. Mate, like I, I heard that audio on the, on the Huffington Post website. Just the fact that you... Uh, do you never fear for your own safety? No. The, the only thing that like, everyone said, why didn't you get a picture? And I genuinely felt too polite because I got up to him and I followed him out and I said oh Huffington Post and I spoke to him for about 30 seconds I said oh look, I'm going to write this up so can I get some audio and he said yes of course got the audio and then I f- to have then said oh can I get a picture of you and you and your, your ex I felt would have been a bit yeah. much I, even I couldn't do it uh, that's why I can never be a paparazzi so where, uh, where were they? They're the National Liberal Club in Whitehall. The National what Liberal I like about Club. that is that Henry Bolton, if he'd have gone anywhere else outside of about a 400-yard radius of Westminster, no one would have known no, who he was. absolutely right. So why the National Liberal Club? So I is, that the one, is that the one that's got the Churchill portrait? Yeah. The, oh, it's yeah, an amazing yeah. place. Black my in, I felt like Bond, mate. So what did, what did you say? Uh, I went. I just went. Oh, uh, oh, my mate saw me in a minute ago, but I had to go out to see if there's a taxi there. Oh, yeah, it's fine, sir. So Classic yeah, line. I blacked my way into David Cameron's leaders' reception at the Tory Spring Conference doing that. Just walked in the wrong door deliberately and said, "Yeah, just going back in." I was allowed out. Yeah, yeah. I just if I found brazened quickly, it yeah. out. Yeah, yeah. If you, if you look them in if the you, eye, if you don't act look like, shifty. Act like you should be there. You can get anywhere in this world, including. So I'm going to do that on your <laughs> when I come watch the next recording of your show. I'm just going to sit on the stage and go, well, "Matt, you agreed? Did I? Yeah, you agreed this. I've got it on tape. Oh, okay, fine." I remember. Yeah, I see. You yeah. should have sounded a lot more confident than that. Yeah, you're yeah. wavering already. I am the indeed. Weakness has shown. <laughs> so, Matt, you've got. Um, 
you're starting very soon. You're going to record and then broadcast on the same day. It's slightly right. different. So a lot That's of pressure right. in the writing room, I guess, to turn stuff around. Yeah, we're used to it now, though. We have four or five days to get it together. And if the story changes on the day, you just have to update it a bit. It, I mean, I'm sounding remarkably relaxed about it. <laughs> but it's always carnage yeah. behind the scenes. But you get used to it. It's like being a journalist in a way. You know, you, you have to deliver the story in the, the most updated form that it's in and factually correct and then make it funny. Or just ask Ned to update it for me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thanks so much for coming in, Matt. And Pleasure. it's uh, January the 28th, yes? January the 28th on Dave, on the And spot. make sure you watch it because it's very, very, isn't it, Kay? It's very good. It's great. It's very good. Yeah. Excellent. And I'm sure they invite us down for... Oh, you're oh, yeah, 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 just invited any, you're, It's just an open invite. I was Amazing. thinking more guests. I think you should return oh, well, the favour. On screen? Yeah, me and Kate. Why not? Oh, yeah, it would be great. Kate, yeah, but not you, man. <laughs> not dressed like that. Too good looking. Yeah, Too good looking. dad. Too good. This is Lampretta. Right. Lampretta. See you later. <laughs> Cheers. Bye. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.